This is the word of the Lord. For it will be like a man going on a journey, who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here, I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also who had the two talents came forward, saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I have made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also who had received the one talent came forward, saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow, and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown, and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him, and give it to him who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has will more be given, and to he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has we taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Good morning to all of you, and it's good to start seeing some of our uh, college students getting back from uh, their summer break and filling in the college section or the young adult section, so it's good to have you guys and good to have whoever it is online. I trust there's some of you there as well. Um, we've been uh, working through uh, the Gospel of Matthew for a couple of years now, um, but we've only been in uh, Matthew 24 and 25 for now the fifth Sunday if you will, and, uh, and we're in the middle of a series uh, we've entitled uh, The Last Days According to Jesus. And uh, in the beginning of this sermon series, in chapter 24, uh, Jesus got into more of the technicalities, if you will. Uh, he was answering really two questions of his disciples um, about concerning the destruction of the temple and the, and the, the coming or his second coming, and, and, and so they asked Jesus two questions. Uh, when will these things be, and what will be the sign of your coming? And Jesus, in the, the, the first part of Matthew 24, really dealt with the events leading up to his return, and we learn that the, uh, the time that spans Jesus' first coming and second coming will be marked with tribulation. He likens it to labor pains uh, of a woman in pregnancy, and that these troubles will increase. They'll, they'll come in waves, but he tells us the end is not yet. 
These troubles Jesus likens to things such as false messiahs, false saviors. Those are going to come on the scene and promise deliverance. There's going to be wars and political turmoil that's going to abound. Natural disasters, persecution against the church, apostasy, that is falling away from the faith, many will do. And yet Jesus reminds us in these early part of the chapters that despite all these turmoils, the gospel the good news of his death, burial, and resurrection, and, and we might add, and return, will be proclaimed to the ends of the earth. It will go forth, as Jesus says elsewhere, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. We covered that in the first two sermons. In the third and fourth sermons, Jesus shifts to address that question, well, when will these things be? What's the timing of it? Isn't that what we always are curious about? Jesus, when are these things going to happen? And, and Jesus flat out tells us, I'm not telling you. He <laughs> says, no one knows the hour of the day. He says, it's unknowable. It's incalculable. You're not going to be able to figure it out. And so instead of dealing with uh, the timing of all these things, Jesus emphasizes the theme of watchfulness and readiness. And that's really been the heart of the rest of our sermons and our time in Matthew 25. It's been about being ready. Even though we cannot know the day or the hour of His coming, we can be prepared for it. And so as one Bible commentator wrote on this passage, when Christ returns, He will not ask if we got the date right. But He will ask, what have you been doing? When he returns, he will not ask if you got the date right. He will ask, what have you been doing? And that's really been the theme of what we saw even last week with the parable of the ten virgins. And now we come to a third parable. And the emphasis in each of these parables has been that a true mark of saving faith in Christ is obedience and faithful service to him as you're waiting and you're watching and anticipating His return. True saving faith, a heart that believes, will be in faithful obedience to Christ. Yet it's easy, I think, for us to lose sight of His coming, isn't it? It's easy to set our minds and our ambitions and our affections upon the things of this world. And, and I imagine, even in this room today, there are some of us that are just tired. Are you tired? Tired, maybe, of serving? Tired of obeying? Tired of giving yourselves to a king and a kingdom that you cannot see? Right? Maybe you wonder sometimes if your labors for Christ, if following Christ is even worth it. All the effort and the sweat and the tears and the agony of, of following Jesus, because following Jesus is hard. It's taking up your cross and denying yourself daily. And maybe you wonder... Is it availing anything? Is, is this Christianity business worth anything? Because I seem to be putting in a lot of labor, but I've got little to show for. Maybe you find yourself saying things like this, why should I follow Jesus? My life never seems to change. You ever said that? Or why should I bother sharing the gospel with people? No one ever seems to believe it. Why do we even bother? 
Or why do I seek to train my children up in the, in the fear and admonition of the Lord? Every time we try to open up our Bible and we try to do scripture memory and we try to break out the home devotional guide, they never want to do it. It's always a battle. Why should I even keep going to church? I always get hurt. I always get hurt. Why keep standing up for righteousness? The world isn't ever going to listen. And you can, you can go down that road, and maybe, maybe you find yourself uh, um, sympathizing with those, those statements this morning. And I want you to know that your Savior understands your weariness. Christ understands our temptation to throw in the towel, to wave the white flag and just say, give up. He understands. And we are reminded in the Scriptures that he who calls us is faithful. He is faithful. And his words for us are, are, are like a fountain of life which, which quench the thirst of our weary soul and, and strengthen us by his grace to finish the race that is set before us. And so this morning, I want us to look to Christ for strength. I imagine we have some weary souls this morning. I want us to look to Christ for strength so that we can fight the good fight of faith and remain ready for his return, that we would not be slack. We not fall back. We not give up. Well, how do we remain ready? What does readiness look like? Well, this morning we're going to see that readiness for Christ's return looks like remaining faithful to do the work of the kingdom as Christ has gifted us. Remaining faithful to do the work of the kingdom as Christ has gifted us so that when he does come, we may enter that eternal joy that is his. In terms of the parable this morning, readiness looks like putting your talents to work. Putting your talents to work. Why must we put our talents to work? Because Christ, first of all, has graciously entrusted you with kingdom responsibility. That's what I want you to see. And I want you to hear emphasizing graciously. Everything here this morning, even though we're going to be focused on producing fruits of the kingdom, producing works, doing the work of the kingdom, I want you to emphasize and see God, Christ's graciousness to us, the grace that strengthens us, the grace that propels us. And Christ has graciously entrusted you with kingdom responsibility. Let that comfort your soul. Jesus transitions here is now to a third parable we've seen three parables one was about a faithful servant in his master's estate last week we saw the parable of the ten virgins and now we have the parable of the talents if you will and this time the parable of the talents is about a wealthy master a wealthy master who's about to go on a journey go away for a long time but he entrusts his servants with his possessions he entrusts his servants with his property we see in verse 15 he says to one he gave five talents to another two and to another one each according to his ability then he went away now when we speak of talents we're not talking about something you perform in front of simon cowell okay we're not talking about america's got talent we're talking about a currency if you will at least in the in the parable a talent was the largest unit of measuring currency in the Greco-Roman world. And a talent was approximately 6,000 denarii. And some of you are like, well, whoop-de-doo, what's a denarii? Well, a denarius, that's one de denarii, 
was a day's wage. So you can probably do the math. What do you make in a day? Times it by 6,000, okay? Uh, we're not talking with chump change here. We're talking about some significant investment that this master is giving. And to one, he gave five talents, 30,000 days of wages. Another, he gave 12,000 days. Another, he gave 6,000 days, okay? That, that maybe helps you understand uh, at least the scale of what we're uh, working with. The one who only had received the one talent, that's, that's 16 to 20 years of wages, if you count it all out with weekends off, okay? 16's no break, 20, you get break, you get vacation time. The master here is lavish, isn't he, in what he's giving to these servants. Imagine going away on a journey and lit literally uh, liquidizing your assets and giving it away to babysitters. That's what's going on here. His generosity towards his servants is lavish, and, and he's obviously giving them significant responsibility but i want you to notice here in verse 15 that he gave to each according to what according to their own ability he gave each according to what they could manage if you will we see here that this master in the parable he isn't aloof to the personalities he's not estranged to their strengths and weaknesses of his servants but rather he is keenly aware of what each is best at and capable of doing brothers and sisters this is true of our relationship with christ christ is the master we are the servants and he is the master who's gone away on a long journey and he has gone to a journey to prepare us a place but to each of his disciples, he has entrusted significant responsibility in the kingdom as each are gifted. As each are gifted. You, you think about these abilities. Well, you could begin to think, okay, well, he, he entrusted the one because, well, he was just a gifted brother, a gifted sister. He, uh, he, they're, they're just, they got it all together, and so Jesus can entrust more. But, but what do we know from elsewhere in scripture what do you have that you have not received who made you the way that you are who made you the height you are the speed that you have how high you can jump the way your mind works the way you can do things well obviously ultimately we recognize that this master our master is far greater than the master of this parable he, he's the creator the one who made us in his likeness in his image everything that we have has been sovereignly given to us and so our Savior understands us well. He knows us better than ourselves. He even knows the number of hairs on your head. Anybody being able to do that today? Some of us would have a better chance of doing that than others, but our Heavenly Father knows exactly who we are and what we are. Sometimes the Scriptures talks about these as spiritual gifts, right? Spiritual gifts. And if you look at the spiritual gifts, certainly some are supernatural, some are, are spiritual in what you might uh, say in that, 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 that regard, but, but often they manifest themselves in very, what we'd say, humanly ways, right? Service, speaking, teaching, administration, <laughs> all sorts of things. If you're a follower of Jesus, you have been created and gifted with abilities, resources, opportunities to invest in the kingdom. That's the idea here. And it's obvious from the parable that we're, we're not to be idle with what we have been given, the, the gifts that we have. In fact, those who have been entrusted with the, the five talents and the, and the two talents, what do we see? 
Verse 16, he would receive the five talents went at once immediately and traded with them and made five talents more. And the, and the one with two talents went and did the very same thing. He went and put his talents to work. He invested them, if you will. We don't know what they did with them, but they had a large sum of money and in both of these first ones, double their money. They've obviously gotten to work. See, the disciple whose heart and though Jesus doesn't specifically talk about the heart in this text, he has talked enough about the heart that he's assuming that we're, we're working with that framework. The disciples whose heart has Christ as its treasure will be busy using their God-given abilities to multiply the kingdom. When your heart is set on the kingdom to come, your mind is set on Christ above. When you're praying, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth, in my life, as it is in heaven, guess what? That will affect how you live, right? You'll take what you have and you'll invest it. Jesus says, store up for yourself treasure in heaven, not on earth. That, that looks like something. And this is what this parable is trying to do. He's trying to show us that it looks like a working for the kingdom. And so the Lord has gifted and empowered each one of us by His Spirit in a variety of ways. We saw it in Romans 12, as, as Brother Jim read for us. You could go to 1 Corinthians 12, same ideas put there, that there's one body but variety of members with variety of gifts and abilities. Each are given by the same Lord, same Spirit, same Christ to serve the common good, to build one another up. And that's true here at Oak Park. I look here in, in this room and there's a variety of people one Savior, but a variety of gifts in this room. And so the Lord has gifted and empowered each one of us by His Spirit to fulfill a variety of kingdom responsibilities. With that gift, there comes responsibility. That's what happens in this text, right? They're given talents, and there's assumed that you're going to do something with it. There's responsibility, a stewardship that you're given. Well, what are these gifts? Well, there's lots of ways to be able to, to break them down, but I think it's best here in this, te this text to think of, of, of these talents, metaphorically speaking, in three ways. Abilities, opportunities, and resources. Abilities, opportunities, and resources, all that are given to you and me from the hand of our Almighty God, right? Abilities, just we think about these, and we might even, it's kind of a, a wordplay, oh, we think of them as kind of talents, gifts. Uh, some of us are really good at being communicators. Others are really good at administration, accounting, finances. Some are good at management, teaching, medicine, law, architecture, art, crafting, cooking, all sorts of abilities. And, and we could just keep going on, right? Others of us, we, we want to think about it in opportunities. Think about your position at work. Yes, you, you've worked there, but who gave the ability? I mean, you just start going all through it, and you realize the Lord has placed me where he's placed me. And you can think about opportunities that you have that are given to you, and you can think about it your place at work or your stage of life that you're in. Whether you're, you're single, there's, there's opportunity there that, that the person who's got the young kids and married can't do. Or maybe you've got your kids out of the home now, and now you're in a new season. There's opportunity, areas, time to steward, if you will. Your role at the church. The Lord has given you opportunity. What are you doing with it? The place you live, where the Lord has you, who's your neighbors? And then you might think of it as resources. 
money. I mean, that's, that's what the Lord, the master gave them. Here, money. Money is a gift from the Lord. How are you using your money? Time, your property, your circle of influence. I mean, these are all really normal things that actually even unbelievers have, right? Yet, when we are empowered by the Holy Spirit, we come in to be disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. Each of us are, are given things, sometimes before we come to Christ, abilities, opportunities, and resources. They've all been given to us according to God's grace, yet the Spirit activates them and redirects them for kingdom work. Now, in some cases, maybe you come to faith in Christ and the Lord has empowered you with a gift that you didn't have prior. That's my story in, in just one area. I used to not be able to get up and, and give a speech. I couldn't talk in front of a group. I couldn't give any public speaking, anything. And after the Lord began to press me and talk, pull me into ministry, that never was a problem again. And it wasn't because I took a lot of communication classes. It just changed. Maybe you have some area in your life like that. It's okay if you don't. But the Lord has made you. Everyone has value. That's what we see here. Everyone has value. Everyone has something to contribute. No matter if you have five talents or you have the one. Everybody is richly supplied. Everybody is. And the Spirit activates and redirects our gifts and our abilities for kingdom work. He hasn't given these things for us to, as we'll see, to bury in the ground, but to put them to work. And how do we put them to work? We use all these things and leverage them, right? We leverage them for kingdom work. We begin seeing everything that I do, how can I use it to further the kingdom? Multiply my investment, store up treasure in heaven. And so it's in this way that you and I store up treasure there. Where moth and rust do not destroy, thieves can't break in and steal. When you begin to use all your abilities, opportunities, and resources for kingdom investment. And this is what it looks like to be ready for Christ's return. Or to be found busy putting our talents to work. And when he comes, Christ has graciously promised us with kingdom reward. And that's what I want you to see next. Verses 19 through 23, Christ has graciously promised you with kingdom reward. So as we come back to the parable, we see that it's not until verse 19, after a long time, the master of the servants came and settled accounts with them. Do you see that? After a long time. This is now the third time that Jesus has suggested, hinted, in his parables that, that after his ascension, it's going to be a long time. Well, it certainly has, hasn't it? Jesus is, there should be some grace here, like in some sense where our minds can go and, and, and be down and say, well, maybe this isn't true. We can come back and see, no, Jesus told us it would be a long time. And he's true to his word, isn't he? It has been a very long time. And so he's suggested here that his return will be delayed, at least from our perspective. It feels like that. But the time that Christ is away will eventually come to an end. And when it does, it will be a day, what, of settling accounts. 
Notice he, he doesn't give us the talents. He doesn't give us the abilities because they're now inherently ours. No, we are entrusted with them. We're stewards. We're still servants. And, and we're going to have to give an account, in this case, for our lives. What have you done? Remember the, the question. Christ isn't going to ask you if you got the date right. He's going to ask you, what have you done with what I have entrusted with you? See, on that day, each one of us will give an accounting for how we lived our lives. Will we be thinking about all these other parables? Will we be like the faithful, the wise, and the hardworking, which we're seeing here? Or will we be the wicked, the foolish, and the lazy? Each of these parables has contrasted two types of people, the, 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 the wise and the foolish, the faithful and the wicked, the hardworking and the lazy. And we see that for those who love their master's appearing, those who love Christ's appearing, those who are looking, who are ready, who are anticipating, who genuinely pray, your kingdom come, there is laid up for them great reward here. We see that, that in verses 20 and, and following that those servants who multiplied their talents, guess what? They were both given the same commendation and reward, weren't they? Now this is significant. Both of them hear the exact same words, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will entrust you with much. Enter into the joy of your master. And this is significant because each of us, we're each given more or less abilities, opportunities, and resources, right? And there's a temptation to think, well, well, that person's a little bit higher in the kingdom because they have more, right? And to look down at the person who, who, who doesn't seem to have as much comparably. But yet what we find here is that in kingdom economics, it's not how much you do that is counted as success, but how faithful you are with what's been entrusted to you. Do you see that? It's not the scope of your life that counts for success. It's how faithful you were with what was given. Some of us are, are going to have more or less ability. Some of us are going to have more or less opportunity. Some of us are going to have more or less resources. But none of that speaks to our worth and value in Christ. He has made you for a specific purpose. He has gifted you in exactly the way that you are so that you can fit a need in the kingdom investment. So you can reach people in a way that someone else can't. On that day, which when Christ returns, you'll be rewarded based on your faithfulness to what he's entrusted to you. And on that day, it's going to be marvelous. There are going to be hidden figures, if you will, hidden men and women, those who've been faithfully serving in the shadows, who were faithful to pray in secret, and no one knew it, who gave out of their poverty and served out of their weakness. And guess what? They're going to receive the same reward as that person who taught faithfully Scripture in public funded ministry out of their great abundance and wealth and powerfully led the largest of ministries. If both are faithful, both receive the same reward. Do you see it? It's usually not how we think about it. 
God must really love that person because look at their ministry. Look at what opportunity. Oh, look at their role in the church. My role is just this little one. I don't really have that. No, guess what? Everybody has a significant role in the kingdom. You've been entrusted with precious goods of Christ. I think about our, those who, who serve our children faithfully. Oftentimes, there's always the joke, oh, I've got to serve with the children. Those Sunday school teachers who have been laboring with our children, look at the kingdom investment. Those children that just come through like an assembly line here, right? We're always producing them, and they're just coming through, okay? And some of you have been doing it long enough that now you remember when they were in the nursery, and now you see them go on up, and they've graduated from your class. What kingdom investment on that day? Oh, how you multiplied your talent in those children. The truth is, you won't maybe know the full extent of it until that day when the master comes to settle accounts. Christ's reward is not based on one's gift and abilities. That's not how he rewards them. But on one's faithfulness to what has been entrusted to them. So brothers and sisters, don't grow weary in doing what is good. Don't look at yourself, oh, well, I got nothing important. No, you are important. Don't give up because you think your labor is in vain. It's not. And your master, he sees what you do. He sees your faithfulness, and he will reward you on that day, and you will enjoy the fruit of your labors. You'll enter into the joy of your master. Stay faithful, because Christ has graciously entrusted you with kingdom responsibility. Stay faithful, because Christ has promised you kingdom reward. And finally and thirdly, we see here that Christ has graciously warned you of kingdom retribution. You might be saying, wow, that took a turn. <laughs> I thought this was, a pos- this was such a positive sermon. Then retribution comes. Okay, what's going on here? Well, the f- bulk of at least the first ten verses are, are mostly positive. We get some hint that there's a negative figure. But the concluding seven verses are rather sobering, aren't they? In fact, all these parables have been, they kind of end on the note of judgment. They're warnings, if you will. And each of them really focus and give more attention, not to the one who was faithful, but in these cases, the one who was foolish, the one who was not wise, the one who is wicked, the one in this case who's lazy. Our Savior not only motivates us with promises, but also with warnings. And I want you to see that the warnings of God, the warnings of Christ in Scripture, are a means of grace to you. Just like a parent's warnings to their children is a sign of their love. We're constantly telling our our kids, don't lay things on top of the stove, at least I am. And then their mother puts an oven mitt on top of the stove and it catches on fire. But anyway... Sorry. Uh, <clears throat> I was just warned. <laughs> we warn our, our children, right? Why? Because there's consequences, there's dangers, and that's to keep them from going down that road. Think of these warnings this way they're real, they're not fake, but they're meant to motivate you to remain faithful. After commending the first two servants, you're expecting, if, if this parable is new to you and, you and you heard Emily reading it, there's kind of a, oh, good and faithful servant, good and faithful servant, and then there's, it's jarringly different. And that's the point. We already know that the first two put their talents to work. 
Whereas the last one, he didn't immediately go to work, he immediately went away to go dig a hole and put his 6,000 denarii in the ground, covered it up. And so on that day of settling accounts, the servant, his last servant, merely returns what had been entrusted to him. He says, here, you can have what's yours. And it's in these verses that we're given insight into the servant's heart and motivation. That's what I do want you to see here. Again, Jesus is talking about the kingdom of heaven will be like, and in the future, things that are hidden are going to be revealed. The thoughts and intentions of the heart are going to be revealed and it's going to play out in in the video of your life. But we must keep in mind from the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. Out of the heart come all sorts of evil. It's the good fruit, our good tree that bears good fruit and the bad tree that bears bad fruit. And so in verse 24 and 25 the servant says, we're going to see his heart here. Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground here. You have what is yours. What we see here in the words of this servant is that his heart was far from him, wasn't it? heart was far from his master well in what ways you say well well, first we see that he attacks his master's character he says i know you are a hard man you're a cruel master that's what he says of him you're a cruel master he believes that that his master is selfish and, and only has selfish interests doesn't care about his servants And he takes what doesn't belong to him. Perhaps even this servant is thinking, yeah, you want an investment on your return? You had us do all the work. Where were you? Why don't you do the work yourself? You're just going to take the investment. Look, you you took the the five talents and and doubled theirs and and all this, and, and you just took it. Well, here, I wasn't as stupid as them. You might see that heart coming through. You want an investment? You want a return on your investment? Do it yourself. Maybe we're not as brash. But I imagine there are times where we feel like this servant. You feel, Father, you feel like you're a hard master. Is there anything in it for me? Things begin to not go as well as we thought. He's a little more delayed than we thought. And we begin and question, does he, is he really good? Maybe he's not. This leads us to our, our, our second element, that motivation that's revealed. We see that he, he acts out of an ungodly fear. He has a false view of his master. He thinks he's a cruel master. He doesn't think he's a good master, and so he's afraid of him. Yes, there, uh, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, but there's a godly fear that draws you into His presence, and there's an ungodly fear that drives you away. In this case, it's an ungodly fear. 
There's an ungodly fear based on a false view of who the master is. And out of fear drives him to disobedience. What we see here is this servant truly hates his master. He wants nothing to do with him. He doesn't think he's good. He doesn't think he loves him. And so his heart resembles a heart of unbelief. And so he has nothing to show for. You see how, the, how your heart is the, is the rudder of your life, if you will? And so it's by his own words that he stands condemned. After he gives this monologue to justify himself, you're the problem, not me. But hey, I kept it safe for you. There's disrespect here. There's no honor, no love. It's by his own words that he's now going to be condemned. Jesus says you will give an account for every idle word. And so that begins to happen here for this man. The master responds to him. Oh, verse 26. You wicked and slothful servant, you, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gathered where I scattered no seed? You, you knew that that's how I acted? Well, then you should have been a little smarter. You should at least have taken my money to the bank where I could have at least learned some interest on it. But you were too lazy to even do that. At the end of the day, based on his own words, he's still a slothful servant. He's still a wicked servant. And he's wasted his life. Many people say on that day, I'll tell God. Yeah, you will. And you'll stand condemned. You'll stand condemned. Do you see how this servant's lack of faithfulness is the fruit of a rotten heart? That's what's going on here. It's the same thing Jesus has been saying elsewhere. The bad tree bears bad fruit. A bad tree can't bear good fruit, and a good tree can't bear bad fruit. What's on the inside comes out. And that's what we're seeing here. And the faithfulness which Jesus requires only comes through a heart for Christ, knowing that he's good and that he loves you. A right view of Jesus as John reminds us elsewhere, we, first, we love him because he first loved us, right? It's his love that is poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. And so on that day, the judgment here, you see, it will be as severe as the reward will be extravagant. And there's some shock value here. Look at verse 28. So take the talent that was from him, that's the, the one servant, or the, the talent... The servant with the one talent says, take the talent from him and give it to him who has ten talents. In this case, the rich get richer and the poor get poorer. And then we have a, a grounding principle. For to everyone who has will more be given and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And we probably shouldn't press the parable too much here. It's, it's shock value. Even what this unbelieving servant has is now given to the one who already has more. The point isn't that the guy with five talents ends up with 11, and that's unfair. That's not the point. The point is, is that God will lavishly reward you who are faithful. 
He will. And he will severely judge those who are not. There's another way of saying this. For the faithful and the believer, this is the only hell you'll know. But for the faithless and the unbeliever, this is the only heaven you'll know. It only gets better for us. It only gets worse for them. You see that? That's what he's getting at. So for the faithless and disobedient, all ability, all opportunity, all the resources that were theirs will be eternally lost for them. They might have gained the whole world, but now they forfeited their soul. They will cast out, Jesus says, as he closes, verse 30. This is kind of Jesus' repeated frame, if you will. They'll be cast out into outer darkness, the darkness of hell, where they will weep eternally over opportunity lost and cry out eternally in agony for a life wickedly lived. This parable reminds us that faithfulness to Christ and what he has entrusted us is what amounts to success. Not how much you have or the scope of your influence. As I was studying this week, I was reminded of the story of uh, John Newton. John Newton was an 18th century preacher, hymn writer, abolitionist. And he credits his faith in his ministry to his mother. He writes this, he says, my mother, who made it her chief business and pleasure of her life to instruct me and to bring me up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. His mom was faithful to rear him up. His father was a sailor and was gone a lot, so essentially it was a single-parent home. Had to it, Elizabeth, his mother, died from tuberculosis right before John turned seven. Right before he turned seven. In those formative years, she taught her son how, not only how to read, but she worked through various catechisms so that he could answer all the questions he notes, even with scripture proofs. And she taught me many of the hymns in church. John Newton actually had a, a period of his life where he walked away from the Lord, lived in gross sin, but he says, it was the investment that my mother made that ultimately brought me back. You might say, I don't know who John Newton is. I bet you do. I bet you know him because you've sang his hymn, Amazing Grace. How sweet the song. Save a wretch like me. He, part of him writing that hymn was the amazing grace that came to him through his mother in those early years. You may not see the fruit of your labors now. You may not. But be faithful with the ability, the opportunity, and the resources you have. And if you're faithful with the little that you have now, he will entrust you with much. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Jesus, you are not a cruel master. You're a gracious master. You've called us to yourself and, and you have given us 